Welcome to the first episode of Sounding It Out, brought to you by Signia UK in Ireland. I'm Julia Van Hastien, the Head of Audiology at Signia, and I'm so excited to be hosting this new series. Hearing health is something I'm really passionate about, as I've seen firsthand the impact of giving back the gift of hearing, and believe me, it is rewarding. Consequently, I can't wait to share this project with you all. We wanted to launch this series because we want to educate. We want anybody and everybody to benefit, regardless of whether you use our technology. We're starting this series talking about an important but often undervalued topic, hearing aid fitting standards. Our first guest is legendary audiology expert, Dr. Gus Mueller, and he is an author many times over and founder of the American Academy of Audiology, amongst many, many other things. He's come to the UK all the way over from tropical Bismarck in North Dakota. Dr. Mueller, welcome to our inaugural episode and thank you for joining us. Hey, uh, I should be the one saying thanks, so thank you for the invite. I don't know what makes one legendary. Being old helps. Also, just to be clear to our listening audience, the city of Bismarck is not an island. I happen to live on a little island on the Missouri River in the great state of North Dakota in, in the U.S., but yes, great to be here. Lovely. Thank you very much. So for the series, we are delighted to say that we are joined by a live audience. Welcome to you all. And we'd, of course, love to hear any questions from you. Dr. Mueller, I'm going to open up the floor to you with a question that some here in the UK may think I'm pushing the boundaries with. In the UK, we have a few overarching professional bodies that are in charge of developing and maintaining our audiological protocols. And they do a great job. But I can't help noticing that the protocols state that they contain guidelines. Can you please tell us your view on the difference between guidelines and standards and why the audiology profession needs to aim for standards? Some of it is uh, semantics, but I'm guessing you're referring to the fact that I was involved with some standards that we developed in the U.S., if you think about the big picture, let's say you were having a new house being built and it was in an area that was prone to earthquakes, I think most of us would like our house being built according to a standard, not according to a guideline. You know, like it maybe sort of shouldn't fall down, or how about a standard that just says it will be built to these specifications? What I've seen that's what's been done in the profession of audiology is that we've sort of done things backwards. And that is not only in the U.S., but in other countries, including, as you mentioned uh, here, people have developed guidelines before there ever was a standard, which is really backwards. The notion would be to have a standard. Then you sit back and say, okay, here's the standard. This is what's minimally acceptable for us to do. Based on this standard, now let's have guidelines to how we comply with the standards. So this is something that I was fortunate enough to help work on a year or so ago. And there was a group of people, I wasn't one of them, but decided that we really should have an audiology standards organization. And the goal of that organization then is to put forth standards on a variety of topics. And one of them is hearing aids. Thank you very much. And we will actually be doing a deep dive into those standards within the next few episodes. So okay. thanks for alluding to that. Now, you did make several very valid and vital points. We need to have standards that tell us what is the right thing to do. 
Now with guidelines, there are room for interpretation and therefore also making mistakes, which individuals can then often be oblivious of, they may not know. Now we've recently had a whistleblowing incident in the UK where a series of mistakes made by a certain trust led to several children with severe to profound hearing loss being undiagnosed until a much later age. Now, upon investigation, it was clear that there was room for interpretation with some of the protocol recommendations. Now, my question to you is, how specific and direct do we have to be with our audiological standards? Yeah, well, again, that goes back to the difference between a standard and a guideline and best practice. So here would be an example. I think that in the standard, you keep things short and you pick key areas. You know, in our standard, we pick 15 key areas related to fitting hearing aids. So here's an example. I'm a firm believer that when you're fitting hearing aids, you have to verify to a validated prescriptive fitting method, ear canal SPL. Well, that's what would be stated in the standard. That's it. It has to be verified to a validated prescriptive method. Then you would have the fitting guidelines. Then the guidelines would tell what signal to use, where to position the patient, where to put the probe tube, what input signal to use, what intensity levels to use, and on and on. And then you could still have, after that, you could still have best practice. Best practice might then say that you also should do an RECD as part of all this so that you correct the person's HL hearing loss correctly when you convert it to ear canal SPL. You start with the standard and then you would go to guidelines, then you would maybe have a best practice document. To more specifically answer your question, I don't know that standards have to be, they should just state the fact of what should be done and not go into a lot of detail as that's what guidelines are for. Unfortunately, as I said before, most places we started off with guidelines and we don't have a standard. And so I could see that an attorney would say, you don't even have a standard for that. How could this person be wrong when you don't even have a standard? Mm, that makes sense to me. So it almost seems that our standards are our foundation. And, you know, as per your example with the building, you need to have your foundation to build on from there. Now, to me, it seems to get to a point where we have a widely accepted and used standard, we need to come together as a profession. And I know you've just said earlier that you've been very heavily involved in the hearing aid fitting standards for adults and geriatric patients over in the States. Now, it's not always easy when there isn't 100% agreement, because some experts will say, but I'm not happy to concede on something that I feel is both correct and critical for a standard. So how did you pull together different bodies and subject matter experts to come to this agreement on the standards? Well, you're absolutely correct that there can be some disagreement. And like a lot of things in the field of audiology, you can find some evidence supporting one issue and other evidence supporting something else. I personally didn't pull this group together. The person who is the chair of the standards organization invited what he termed subject matter experts. And I think he did a nice job of pulling in a few people who have done a lot of writing and talking on the issues, simply because if you do that, you probably have a pretty good idea of, of what the research evidence is. We had one person from industry, so we have the viewpoint of industry. We had two people, actually, who were in large clinics. We had one person who's a primarily a researcher with hearing aids. 
and uh, a person involved in a large private practice. And so I think you need, if you have people coming from all these directions, I think then everybody has to listen to everybody else and you get the different perspectives. And we really had very few disagreements because most of it is just the right thing to do. When it's the right thing to do, it, it's hard to argue about it. Mm. And I think what I'm hearing from what you're saying is a key to this is good representation across the field of audiology. Absolutely. You wouldn't want a group of people, and this does sometimes tend to happen, you wouldn't want a, a group of people who don't even see patients sit down and write a standard of how people seeing patients should perform. Uh, mm. You know, you want somebody who at least sometime in their life probably was in doing clinical hearing aid fitting so that they have a sense of what this is really like because you have to be practical too. Mm, some really good tips there. Thank you very much. And if you can do it over the pond, so can we. <laughs> well, we're just getting started. So uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't get ahead of things here. So my next question is, what should we consider to be our selection criteria for what needs to be a standard versus what should be a recommendation? Now, you already mentioned the right thing to do as your standard, as your foundation. But thinking about it a little bit more, what goes into a standard? Do we think about what we can offer as clinicians, our expertise from a clinical perspective, or do we think about our patient, what would be best for them? Yeah, I, I don't really see those as two different things. I think that when we develop the standard, we are actually looking at what could be best for the patients. I mean, uh, an example is speech recognition testing and noise, which not everybody does. But who could argue that that's not best for the patient? Because if we're armed with that information, our counseling skills improve tremendously. So of course it's best for the patient that we know more about them because we will then be delivering better counseling skills. So I can't think of anything in the standard that isn't based on the notion that the patient's long-term benefit and satisfaction with hearing aids will be enhanced if somebody follows that standard. I can't imagine that that's just the way it has to turn out. Mm, no, I completely agree with you. If we think about what's right for our patients, why wouldn't we have as much clinical information available to us to set the hearing aids up, but also to counsel our patients? Sure, exactly. So the last question then is going to help setting up for our next two episodes where we will be doing a bit more of a deep dive into those hearing aid fitting standards that you mentioned. Oh. And that is, do you think the phrase hearing aid fitting standards is encompassing enough? Because when I look at those standards, they talk about pre-fitting assessments, they talk about the hearing fitting itself, it talks about short-term and long-term follow-ups. So do we do it injustice just by saying hearing aid fitting standards? Yeah, you know, I guess that hadn't even occurred to me until you just now mentioned it. I guess it depends on how you define a fitting and the title of the standard can only be so long. So in my definition, a hearing aid fitting well, really, it starts with your air conduction testing, and it goes through the whole process until you do your post-fitting counseling. And as part of our standard, it goes into long-term adjustments. So it's the journey mm. uh, going from the very beginning to the life of the hearing aid, basically, if you continue to buy service. For simplicity, we're just calling it the fitting, but it's everything. 
there could be a better word for it or words, but that's what we're calling it. No, that's fine. And it's public, so it's too late now. You can't change it. <laughs> I'm going to change the world. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that makes sense. And, and for me as an audiologist, I don't think you can see any or isolate any part of the, that journey in itself. Sure. We can't just talk about the hearing aid fitting without yeah. the pre-assessments and without the follow-up. Exactly. So it is really that pathway. So let's call it hearing aid fitting standards. All right. Well, we did that. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Mueller, for a very insightful introduction into our first episode in our series on hearing aid fitting standards. Today, we talked about why fitting standards are important and how they differ from recommendations. Let's keep the conversation going here in the UK, but also globally, and feel free to send us your comments. Please join us for our second episode about hearing aid fitting standards. And in the meantime, you can find out more information about Signia and also Dr. Gus Mueller's work on the episode page. If you found this episode helpful, we'd love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues so as many people as possible benefit from Dr. Mueller's expertise.